Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Tara White, part of the Advantages DLS team, is dedicated to their mission of supporting learners in achieving high-quality education by providing essential tools and resources for personalized learning, both locally and internationally. Her role encompasses a wide range of responsibilities, including revenue growth, business expansion, profitability enhancement through strategic partnerships, client acquisition, and market opportunity research. Tara is committed to advancing educational institutions through an integrated education management platform. Hi, Tara. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out for this. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, uh, Tara, first question, what do you do now? I am a business development manager for Advantages Digital Learning Solutions. Um, it's an online platform that provides, you know, K through 12 education to students who, for whatever reason, can't participate in a brick and mortar environment right got it uh before we you know talk more about what advantages digital learning solutions do i'd like to you know go back a little bit and then you know talk about your journey if you can walk us through your journey as you know because uh you were into teaching and then you know one of the most unique transitions that i've ever seen is somebody who was in teaching get into business development right so if you can walk us through your journey and you know your transition that'll be great well, like so many things in my life, it was largely accidental. Uh, so I was teaching for a very long time. Um, I started teaching right after university. I went to Prague and I did my TEFL, so teaching English as a foreign language. Um, and then from Prague, I went to Spain and I was teaching in Spain. Um, now I went to school, university here in America, but I am a British citizen and so it was easy at the time for me to travel within Europe and teach because we were part of the EU. And so I had no intentions of coming back. <laughs> but then my mother got sick. And so I came home um, to kind of help with, you know, just with everything going on, uh, just moral support from my folks. Um, and then wound up staying. I did a brief stint in wealth management uh, and I just no joy in that. Um, so I started tutoring on the side, mostly test prep, standardized test prep anyway, uh, got quite good at it um, to the point where I could sort of guarantee a certain level of results. Um, so I started doing it for other companies. I started teaching you know, SAT classes, SAT prep classes, for various tutoring companies in the area. And I just noticed that they were sort of charging just absurd premiums, probably the equivalent of 300, 400 an hour. And I wasn't seeing very much of that 300, 400 an hour. So I launched my own business for a fraction of what they were charging, but I got to keep it all. And um, I, as it turns out, um, didn't have to do too much marketing because word of mouth, especially in this area, is everything. I live just outside of DC. 
and um, I garnered quite a few high known, well known clients. So like the son of a professional football player here, like the Washington at the time Redskins, I, I um, taught one of their kids and then, you know, the CEO of monster.com, he lives here in Great Falls, I taught his kids. Um, and so it just sort of spread like that and I was doing relatively well. Um, particularly in the fall and spring. And it gave me the flexibility that I needed to help look after my mom, who started to deteriorate much, much worse. And then when she died, um, you know, I thought, you know, I need to go to something full time because all this free time I have, whilst it was lucrative, uh, wasn't doing me any favors mentally. So I, went into teaching in a mental health facility. So I actually worked at a mental health facility. So residential treatment for um, teenagers who suffer from co-occurring mental issues, uh, substance disorders, um, eating disorders, things like that. And I taught in that, in those school, in that school for a year, both in residential and in partial hospitalization. So I was teaching all subjects. Um, math, history, uh, science, English, and I am fluent in Spanish. I was teaching Spanish as well. Um, and so I got really good at it and I loved that environment. And then COVID hit and I got pregnant and I didn't love that I was still going in all the time. And um, so when I had the baby, I decided to take some time off work for um, just about 10 months. But the program we had been using at the mental health facility was Advantages. And so I became the admin within the school for managing the platform, got to know the team very well. And then when I left to have a baby, uh, about 10 months later, the CEO called me and she said, do you want to work for us? And I said, of course I do. I, I knew the platform already. I was familiar with it. Um, so I came on as a student success manager, which basically was the onboarding of new students. So I wasn't teaching anymore, but I was still very involved in the day-to-day -day of students and their families. And because I was in management, I would sit in on a lot of their management meetings and just listen to things. And, and I started to get a few ideas, you know, and it launched with, um, you know, the return of conferences post COVID you know, I saw that they were um, signing up to do a bunch of academic conferences. And I, I thought that was interesting because I was like, why would you go to a conference where you're surrounded by your competitors? I was like, because you've had such success in the mental health world, why not go to the mental health conferences where you're surrounded by prospective clients? And they went, hmm, that's a good idea. And they're like, why don't you go? And they sent me. And it went very well. And then when they came back, they said, you know, I came back from that conference. They said, um, you know, tell you what, you've got good ideas and and you obviously love the platform and can sell it. And they said, why don't you move over into business development? I never done it before, but and I certainly never liked sales, but turns out I had a knack for it, I guess. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Right. Great. Thank you for that, Tara. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back, you said, um, sorry about your mother. Um, you said, you know, 
you were actually successful doing the test prep coaching mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, although you only charged a fraction of what the other tutoring companies that you used to work for charged I, I said a fraction but that's still quite good i was charging at the time 75 dollars an hour but right. down from but down from 3 or 400 now or whatever the companies were charging them um yeah. you have to remember i live in one of the wealthiest counties in the united states the average there is no home within 10 miles of me that is under 700,000. The average household median income is 170,000 per household. Um, we have the best school. So charging 75, hour, 75 an hour might sound like a lot, but we were surrounded by many. And I thought if you do charge something a bit more reasonable, you get more clients that way and word of mouth will do the rest. Um, I'm not interested in price gouging these people I didn't want there to be a barrier to entry I actually it's a very big passion project for me that like lower social you know socioeconomic demographics shouldn't have should have the same access to education as wealthier ones right so yeah 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 great and you uh, you said it yourself you know although it was lucrative it wasn't doing any good for you mentally am i correct um uh yeah post post my mom dying because there's a lot of free time right because i wouldn't have to be anywhere until the kids got out of like proper school right so they're in school most of the day if they hire me for tutoring services they're not going to need me till obviously afterwards um so i never had to be anywhere till half past three four o'clock um so that gave me rather a lot of time in the day to sit around and, and think. And at that particular point in my life, that wasn't very healthy for me. So, Right, right. Got it. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, that's when you uh, join, uh, you know, a mental health facility or mm-hmm. something like, you know, where you teach a lot of subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it wasn't really about the money for you at any point. I mean, it wasn't difficult for you to make the minimum amount of money that you need. No, I'm, money finds me. I've, I've always found uh, if you try too hard to chase it, it always seems to elude you. <laughs> so, wow. I, it's you not just said good... money finds you. Okay. Yeah, well, is, is that I really mean, true? I mean, like, is there a method to that? No. <laughs> I just think, <laughs> I think if, you, if you do things that enrich you, you will be rich. Like, if you, if you do things that you're passionate about, money will find you I think when you just sort of I suppose that is a method really because if you if you don't if you do a job solely because it pays you you're never going to really be the kind of person who stands out your performance is going to reflect the bare minimum which is all you're doing you show up you log in you log off and that's the end of it but I think I've always chosen to do things that I felt I was passionate about and then money will find you it's not I don't make loads it's education (laughs) I mean education isn't going to be it's it's never going to make you rich but you can do okay (laughs) you can do okay um so no I I don't do things for money ever otherwise I would have done something completely different right like IT or some other sales. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you could have you could have just continued and expanded your uh, test prep coaching itself. You yeah, know? could have done. Uh, but I I never had 
you know, that had run its course in my life. It was, I was starting to burn out right, and I never right. do anything past the burnout period. Because again, you're not, you're just, I would then be depriving my clients. So I can't do right. that. I could end on a good note while they, everyone still thought I was really, really good <laughs> instead of burning out and then proving that I wasn't, you know. Right. And um, you said when the lockdown, the sorry, the 2020 pandemic happened, you that's the point that you were working as a teacher with the mental health facilities, correct? Yes, I was, and, I was working as a teacher then. Yeah. And I was on site for most of it. Um because at first I was in a residential and then I went to partial hospitalization, which means that the students or clients rather, they don't live on site. They got there at eight in the morning and they would leave there at six at night. So it's partial hospitalization, meaning that they spend 10 hours a day there, but they right. don't live there. Um, so I used to get there around half past seven. So that was in Maryland. I used to drive to Maryland to do that. Um, and then when the pandemic was at its worst at the very beginning, they sent us home to do um, online. So the kids would do their group therapy, all that stuff, still five hours a day online and four or five hours a day with me. But I used to do like sessions with individual kids. So they would have to log in, speak to me in the morning, talk about their goals, things like that. And then we, I think we were only online for four to six months and then they sent us back as soon as they could because these kids mm. the acuity of their illnesses aren't easily treated online i mean these these kids had severe issues right so um online wasn't really going to work in the long term so the second they thought it was okay to send us back they did but very like and slowly they would do cohorts so we did like one cohort would go Monday, Wednesday, the other cohort Tuesday, Thursday, and then everyone right. on Friday. So the best they could, you know. Right. Tara, uh, when you said that, you know, there was a time when you had a lot of free time on your hands, uh, which wasn't really helping you is when you had to go find a job. Uh, yeah. That's one reason. And then uh, was it conscious of you to go uh, get a job at a mental health facility as a teacher? Or were you just looking to teach? What was that all about? Or was it just the job that you got when you searched? Well, I've always felt... I've always felt... Ha <laughs> I always liked the difficult kids. So, I mean, like, I've, I've always liked them. We got on really well. I don't know if it's because I act like a teenager I don't know uh, most teachers don't like adolescents a lot of them don't uh, they prefer the young ones I was always right. the complete opposite I liked the teenagers I liked the difficult ones I like the attitude um, and I had particular success with that demographic again I don't know if it's an attitude thing I do dress alternatively i have a lot of tattoos like things like that i think it gave me an edge with that um demographic that a lot of people didn't have and then obviously so i i wanted to work with teenagers i knew that um and mental health has always again been sort of a passion project i do believe that it's still stigmatized um to seek treatment particularly 
particularly in the West, well, both worlds, right? Western and Eastern. And even as much as they, they make a big, they've made a big inroads here in the States. And I think they're attempting to do the same in the UK, but it's by no means, um, it's no means where it should be. So these kids were kind of forced into treatment one way or the other. They didn't know it, it was good for them, but a lot of them really resent being there. And I think I liked being the face that like they could, you know, I liked being there when they were scared. I liked, you know, a lot of them have big traumas and fear surrounding school, um, you know, and I really enjoyed you know changing their minds about that and i really did like watching them go through i mean they're and they're only with us for anywhere from two months to six months of the absolute longer so you kind of get used to the kind of rolling um population but you know i i liked watching them go through it and then come out on the other end it was always nice for me but and, it, and I probably should have gone somewhere like that when I was a kid, if it had been, you know, more available. But yeah, I love mental health. Uh, I think youth mental health is so important because we do have a suicide crisis. Right. Um, and I and I love kids. I love teenagers anyway. <laughs> I like my kid. I like I like my small kid, but I don't like small kids as a rule. So teenagers are my jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very interesting Donna, yeah. um i'm this question may have a s certain assumption but please feel free to you know correct me or break it but i'm just <laughs> gonna go with it you know uh you said you were uh in a tough space after your mother passing away and yeah. you know you had a lot of time you didn't want a lot of time with yourself and hence you kind of you know looked out to get yourself engaged but yeah. um the normal thing what happens during these times is that people go to a therapist, but here it seems like, you know, you offered therapy in a way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course you did teach. I mean, is that, um, can you address this a little bit, talk through this? Am I reading it right? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, therapeutic to help people, right? So I don't, I talk about a lot of mental health therapy, like stuff like that, how it's stigmatized. I'm not exactly the queen of following my own advice. Um, right. You know, I, I also come, I, I also come from, you know, a culture that has not embraced therapy. I mean, like my dad and, you know, I was raised incredibly British <laughs> in that sense. And like, uh, we just don't, we don't really do talk therapy in in our house and I'm working like on myself in that sense like to, to get there on my own but the right. best therapy I've always found and you know my husband says this all the time if you're if you're down or you're sad the very quickest way to get yourself out of it is to channel that energy into helping someone else um I just tried to in certain moments not be destructive just try and be constructive and and that seemed like a good way to do it and it seemed like strangely enough when you're really sad you're like i'll go surround myself with other sad people and try to make them happy <laughs> so and maybe i'll just feed off that in my own way um but i did i i did i really enjoyed it i ne i didn't leave because i didn't enjoy it i just you know 
pragmatically couldn't do it with a newborn. Yeah, you got pregnant. Yeah. 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 I was pregnant the the entire last year I worked there. And then um, they used to give us like a lot of PTO to recover because it's a high burnout industry, mental health. So we definitely got more PTO than the average job here. As you well know, America is not known for treating its employees fantastically, um, which is a good thing because my company didn't treat mothers fantastically. That that was the one downfall of the mental health facility is that they gave us something like three weeks maternity leave, which is so bad. Um, but by the time I had my daughter, I had not taken a day off in a year and a half and I had 11 weeks of holiday or 12 weeks of holiday saved up mm. and so i just tacked it on to the three weeks and then quit at the end of it so i had a bit of a maternity leave but it was really just clever planning on my part um but i would have stayed otherwise i was happy enough there um but it was just really tough i couldn't you know they wanted me back at you know 50 hours a week because you it was they wanted to stretch my hours and then, you know, an hour commute each way and just wasn't feasible. But I would definitely, I would definitely see myself doing it again one day if, uh, if things were different, you know, when she's older and maybe in school or something. God, great. Thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. what you did right now. Uh, because, um, I mean, one of the things that I take away from this piece of uh, conversation is that you know if you are probably down not in a great mental health space yourself you can probably you know try and help others or in the same place because um you know i was also thinking about you said you don't know why you got along really well with adolescents you know other teachers kind you know would prefer not having them yeah. kind of deal with younger or older that's probably because you know you related to them and they related to and that's probably why because you know things happen but i do want to like you know break down and kind of you know try and get as much uh specifics as possible so that you know teachers who have no idea you know who are finding it difficult uh to work with uh, adolescents and adolescents who have you know who are not in a mentally great space so yeah. apart from you know you said you did pointer about you know it could be the your uh, persona physically the way you dress tattoos and stuff but yeah. what are some of the traits or habits you know that you think was kind of different from the other teachers that you've been under or you've worked with that you think worked I think the biggest mistake with teenagers is like people talking to them like they're still children because every teenager is going to balk at that they don't like being taught to like their children they all think they're grown up they all think they know everything so you have to kind of meet them on their level start talking to them like they're grown up start like you know when I say I got on with them really well it doesn't mean I wasn't firm I'm plenty firm you know but they appreciated the way I did it as well and you have to be willing to get a little gritty with them because if you talk to um you know they're not interested in prim and proper they get especially this particular demographic students who are troubled they're gonna try and shock you they're gonna swear at you they're gonna throw things at you you know <laughs> like they're gonna do whatever they can to try and get a rise out of you so if you meet them on their level shock them first like swear right back at them <laughs> like whatever the case may be mm. casually swear casual be, like be 
I I never had them calling me Ms. White. I never had them, you know, I, I would crack jokes with them all day long, all day long. I would make fun of them. They make fun of me. And it didn't, it felt, I tried to build a rapport that was more like less student teacher and more sort of like older friend, you know, <laughs> like someone, you know, I would just, I would just crack chase them, make fun of them, try and get a rise out of them too. And it, if you can make them laugh, you've crossed over the first big hurdle because that's teen, teens are determined not to smile at you. They don't want to give you like even an inch. So right. if you can do something unexpected and cross that first hurdle, get them to laugh, you're you're in there. Like it's fine. You know, I had I had one student who I remember very, very well, um, who and this sounds crazy, but keep in mind the kind of facility I was in, when would sometimes act like a dog and then go under the table and just sit under the table and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, mate, I don't care where you do algebra. You could do it under the table, in the toilet, wherever you want to do it. But as long as that worksheet's done at the end of today, I don't really give a crap. <laughs> like, and yeah. like, and you and like everybody in the class laughed because normally the last teacher would be trying to grab him and pull him out from under the table. It's like, why? Let him work under the table. Like of all the things that's happened in this facility, that is one of the least weird and harmful. <laughs> so like, whatever, you know, or I just, I've just had so many kids. They're so angry or they've got, they're just trying to, they don't need one more person to be angry with them. They're, they're carrying enough anger. Like, so getting annoyed at them, letting them shock you. I mean, if, if you're prim and proper and can't handle certain things, you shouldn't be working that around teens anyway. <laughs> like they're mm. all, you know, they're all just learning their boundaries and limits and they're going to try and push them every time. They're going to talk about things that are shocking. Like the way they talk or... You know, it's not the way we would in public, but teens will. And so getting worked up or allowing yourself to get worked up over the eyes, stupid. So I've seen, I've seen people come and go, particularly one who uh, we, we did have one who just never should have been working with teenagers because she was not, um, she had no idea how to connect to them. She was she would have been well suited around four or five year olds, but not around teenagers. And they see that and they leap on it. It's like sharks smelling blood in the water. Like she was done for. I was like, <laughs> you are lost. <laughs> you found yourself in the wrong facility. But if I've had luck, it's because of that. It's just, you gotta, you gotta meet them on their level. You want them to respect you. You gotta talk like them, act like them. Don't be them, but, or, and don't, sink to their level but meet them on their level yeah right right great stuff Donna, uh do you think uh teachers can be trained uh to kind of you know be this way that you described the last few minutes is it you know can I they mean, be trained they can, anybody can be trained to do anything in theory you know right practice is a little bit different because again mm. if it's not genuine they will sense it they're so clever all kids are clever they pick up on things 
my two-year-old picks up on nuances of personality you know so I as long as it's genuine then yeah like so it's less about teaching them how to meet them on the level and more just you've got to weed out the ones who aren't who aren't for real like if they're just there to pick up a paycheck or whatever the case is then no you can't train them but if you've got people who are genuinely passionate and love the idea of molding the next generation and they genuinely like the next generation because I've met plenty of teachers who don't which has always baffled me if you if you don't like children why did you get into teaching so but I've met a lot and they brag about it they'll go yeah I can't stand kids well time to time to retire then right and Tara when you say you know this was a mental health facility uh what were the kind of um you know, problems that you faced with? Like, were they a spectrum of them? Or was it something like ADHD or, you know, stuff like that? No, it's a bit more serious than ADHD. Um, It's a gamut. It's a definite spectrum. Um, Now, if they're sin- seriously homicidal or suicidal, for the most part, they'll be put into hospital. But there's kind of that right underneath that so we had kids with substance abuse issues but specifically weed and alcohol anything that was worse than that again they would have to go to a separate facility um so substance abuse severe depression homicidal ideation suicidal ideation bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder um hypersexuality or you know sexual trauma um abuse of any kind um we had a lot of rape survivors, uh, eating disorders, or anorexia, bulimia. Uh, what else do we run into? Quite a lot. Wow, this, like is, this is quite a list in itself. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, usually it's a psychiatrist or psychologists, you know, that kind of sit and talk with these kids and then, you know, they have to probably, you know, go through therapy and stuff like that. Yeah, they have that How too. Did, okay. But, um, I mean, I'm asking from a place where, you know, I'm kind of like wondering, how did you, uh, were you trained to handle people uh, like this? Or, you know, how did they think that you could do the job? Well, they were just looking for teachers. Um, and they we went through extensive training, yeah, obviously. Um, right. Okay. We had to do, like, you know, psychiatric training, recognizing uh, signs of imminent danger. Um, we had to learn how to restrain them in a way that was legal. Like there's very, there's very um, serious laws around restraining children. So if they attack you, what to do? Um, if they run away, which they did all the time. Like at one point, it felt like one one week. It felt like somebody ran away every day and so you're just walking behind them in the street making sure they don't hurt themselves because you can't physically restrain them so you just have to like convince them to come home um so we did go through extensive training uh with regard to mental health safety and procedures they're very serious about that because um there's quite a lot of liability involved if you aren't properly trained and the way it worked was these kids, they come in 
And for insurance purposes, they have to be in therapy five hours a day, which means group therapy, individual therapy, rec therapy, which is like recreational therapy, art therapy, music therapy, animal therapy, even lunchtime was taught was like a food group, you know, teaching you how to view food in a healthy way, you know, and then four hours a day, they're with me in school. Um, and so they're doing most of them on the online platform that I work for now, which is advantages, advantages school international. Um, most, most of our students were on our platform. So that was a relatively easy contained platform, all different grade levels, of course. So like, um, I would have somebody as young as 14, somebody as old as 18, 13, 13, 14, then 18. 19 you know well at eight, 19 they aged out of our program but um not the school program but the insurance program. um so i every day looked completely different but yeah it was that's kind of what i liked about it the, the mental health you never knew what you were going to get some some of our kids were particularly acute and so there's teaching obviously but then there's the added interesting things that might happen you know suicide attempts or something like that and you have to really keep keep an eye out for it. like so i was teaching but i'm also watching like right. you know it could be anything that gives it away like oh maybe their writing has gotten quite dark or they're showing signs and symptoms of regressive behavior you know maybe they're idealizing again destructive behaviors or whatever the case and then so the added the added interest piece was like i'm obviously teaching but i have a constant dialogue with all of their therapists you know so letting them know what's going on what i'm seeing in school how's it going um and keep in mind we're all working in this massive house it's like literally a mansion where eight to ten girls live and there's offices for all of us. So <laughs> it's a very unique situation working in a gigantic mansion with 10 girls who live there. So I often ended up helping out in other departments, going and waking them up in the morning, for instance, or bringing them down for breakfast or, you know, just helping the care coordinators with whatever they may need, sitting with them at lunchtime, which is another thing. You asked me about teachers who don't do well right. or, you know, with teenagers or whatever the case was. Uh, the person I was thinking of that didn't do well in that environment kept herself very, very separate from our kiddos. Like never, I mean, to them, there was a very, she was a very, she had had a very strict boundary between them. It was very clear that she was a teacher and they were the students. So, but one thing I always did was I tried to have lunch with them at least twice a week, sit down on the floor with them you know, just be with them in a way that's not always just academic, because if they see you as a friend or a mentor or a confidant, you're already easing some of the trauma and innate mistrust that all kids have about school. Like school right. sucks. It's boring. I don't like this, you know, but if at least there's someone there they're happy to see, that's the first step to getting them into the classroom. So not, I wasn't married to that whole student teacher, like 
there's still a way to maintain healthy boundaries, but it doesn't need to be rigid like that. Right. Were you ever attacked? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, with a chair a few times with like various school instruments. Uh, <laughs> but they didn't have access to to weapons of any kind. So there's no, not much they really can hurt you with. I mean, they could try and hit you, which they have. Um, I mean, outside of it, I'm a pretty scrappy individual. Outside of anything having to do with school stuff, I'm a pretty scrappy individual. You'd have a hard time getting to me if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, I, I, and that's part and parcel of working in mental health. You gotta, you gotta accept you're gonna walk away with a few bruises sometimes. We had one girl who used to bite us. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, because of you know because you knew where you were working and the kind of training that you got um it is of course you know rational to not be angry theoretically but uh, instinctively would you get angry and you had to kind of you know tell yourself oh this is not any normal situation or you know you had gotten blended in so much that you wouldn't feel anger but you would only be acting in self defense i never got angry i mean right. I suppose I would have, I, I never had to act in self-defense. Like even while being attacked, you know, we're already navigating the situation in a way that makes sense with the policies and things. So I can't react back. And I don't get angry because quite literally, I don't think it's the, their fault. They're not in control. I'm the adult. I'm supposed to be in control. I can be in control. Um, and to be honest with you, I genuinely think that none of them would do anything nasty if they could control it. I mean, we did have a couple kids, very, very few. I've seen hundreds of kids come and go, and I can count probably on one hand the ones who I would have told you are beyond redemption. I mean, every, every... Everybody's got a reason, right? Everybody's got something going on, whether it's real or imagined, they've all got a reason why they're acting this way. And I generally, I just don't think that children are just bad. They're not, I, they're just, so I never got angry. mild irritation, maybe, but um, certainly nothing that would cause me to lash out because again, they're children and I'm not, you know, I'm well into my 30s. That's like they're 15 years old, you know? So what was I like at 15? And if you can remember that, you can afford them quite a bit of grace because chances are, if you look through the microscope, none of us come out looking very pretty at 15, you know? Yeah, great. Tara, how did uh, advantages happen for you? So like I said, I, I did use it whilst I was at Newport, uh, which was the mental health facility. Um, oh, I was very, right, right, right. I'm sorry, yeah. I missed that piece of information. Yeah. Okay, you used so it used as it. a consumer. Okay. Yeah, we used it as a consumer. I used it as a consumer. Um, and I'd even worked with the team because every facility at which Advantages is used has someone on their staff who's managing the 
platform, right? Right, so, right. Um, post-implementation, obviously, you're going to be conversing with advantages a lot because we don't just hand you a platform and then walk away, right? So yeah. like you, <laughs> it's ongoing support, things like that. So whilst I was at Newport, I had a lot of interaction with a woman named Jen Tynan at Advantages. And we became quite friendly because we were always on the phone with one another. I was always, you know, she was helping me do like audits of our numbers or I'd get confused and I'd call her for support. She was always on the phone, always ready, always available to talk. And she was super helpful. Um, and she's still super helpful. She still, she still works <laughs> for Advantages. Um, so when I left Newport, I offhandly mentioned to Jen, well, maybe one day I'll come and work with you because I already know the platform. And obviously I knew that it was a remote company because they're headquartered in Reno and they've got people all over the United States. So it's a, it's always been a remote company for the most part. Um, and so she said, yeah, that'd be awesome. She's like, I'll talk to Sandy, who's one of the founders. And I tried to get in touch with Sandy um, just to tell her my situation that I would like to be working remotely if I could um, because I, you know, I had a baby and everything and she was just so busy and I forgot about it and I took some time off and then 10 months in, because I remember my daughter was, yeah, my daughter's about nine months old and I was at a wedding and my phone went off and it was Sandy who I hadn't thought about in eight months you know and she goes are you still available to work and I go yeah she goes do you want to come work for me and I was like yeah I'd love to and so she uh offered me quite a pay bump because teachers here don't make a bunch um and it was all remote and it was a perfect situation at a, at a time that I needed it to be and I came on and that was two years ago nearly um and so like I said one of the cool cool things about such a small company because we are small um one of the good things about that is that like every voice counts and every voice matters and obviously you've seen like they've given me a lot of leeway to grow um or even just to have ideas and that honestly, I think has less to do with being a small company and more to do with being a woman owned and run company. No offense, just means less ego, like across the board. I remember this from the earlier yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, women just don't operate the same way. We don't, we don't worry about ownership or ego or anything of that you know if you've got an idea it matters and if it's what helps the company helps everybody right so it's yep. been very cool to actually have ideas and have people invest in those ideas it's it's confidence building and I think that's the that's the smart thing about us you know the management that we have is that it's it's been very cleverly done like they've they've hired the right people and they've invested in the right people i think um and it's and it's definitely worked for them so yeah but our c-suite is all almost entirely women <laughs> which is unique right. too so that's right. that's that's a that's just a fun fun perk that's all 
I think we're going to see that a lot more with time. So yeah, I bloody hope so. It's about time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tara, uh, it says, you know, advantages school international on the website and in the logo or in the emblem, it says advantages digital solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're also a digital learning solution, like as in you also offer platform as a service and mm-hmm. you are also a school that offers content along with the platform. Is it like a curriculum, right. a teaching program? Okay. Can All you? Right. Okay. So Advantages Digital Learning Solutions is a platform, right. a platform into which content of any kind can be uploaded, right? And the platform is ours, built by us. We have a crack tech team. They're 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 so good. Uh, most of them are in Vietnam. Um, but mm. so we, but our C, our CTO is in Chicago. Um, but we built it. It's all, like the UI, the UX, all that good stuff is designed by us. Um, the school, we use a third party content provider. And we became accredited. So we're unique in that we're one of the few contents, like school, you know, actual online schools that are accredited. So meaning a diploma from us is just as valid as any other high school. We became accredited through Cognia, which is one of the biggest accreditation bodies in the United States. And we're NCAA approved, so student athletes can graduate from us. And we're on the University of California A3G approved list. So the platform itself can be used however is needed, right? So we are international. I think we're in like 42 countries. Um, and we do a number of different things. Most commonly, like we're in India, we're in... Um, We've got ASI Middle East now as well. Um, That specializes more often in dual diploma. So that means that we work in tandem with the home country's curriculum to provide them a dual diploma. So they'll get their home country's diploma with by and also meet all the criteria for an American one. So if they want to travel to America, go to school in America, um, they'd be able to do that. So that's where the platform is most often used. Um, I have visions that we could do so much more with it. So any kind of content that like we've been working with mental health, we've been doing substance abuse, uh, and we do have adult learners as well, because you can't, you don't age out of our program. So you can be 25 and come back and get your high school diploma, which is great. But because we work so often with mental health and recovery communities, I love to get content in there that was like recovery support services, we call it RSS, um, that they offer in a lot of rehab. So like reassimilating back into the world post rehab. I'd love to have content like how to dress for a job interview, um, how to write a CV, how to rent a flat, how to pay taxes, like how to introduce yourself to people, like anything like that, I'd love to. The problem is, is that we're not content writers by trade and I just haven't found 
content provider that has specifically those things. It's obviously piecemeal. I could pull it from loads of different sources, but I don't know. I'm still I'm still mulling that one over. But um, but yes, right at the moment, that's the advantage of school international is under the ADLS umbrella. Got right. it, got it, Tara. Thank you so but much for explaining. It's definitely not the only product. Right, right, got it. it uh, interesting, you know, you also uh, you spoke about 42 countries and stuff, you know, because I'm in India, let me just kind of take India as an example. And if you can, you know, uh, you said, correct me if I'm wrong, you said uh, you offered dual diploma for people in other countries, you know, where if they enroll into a program that's offered by can travel uh, to the US. Is that what you said? Is that right? Mm-hmm. So you yeah. mean to say it's another way of getting visa into the to travel to the US? Oh, we don't offer visas. I mean, if they if they were going to come here to study, they could get student visas on their own because that's what a lot of international students do. What I meant is they could get accepted into American universities because they would have had all the prerequisites for universities. So for example, um, in order for your average American high school student to go to university, they have to have accumulated 20 credits, four years of math, four years of English, three years each of science and social studies, two years of a foreign language, a year of music or art, a year of an elective, and two years of PE and health with at least half a credit of that being health. So that's, yeah, that's 20 credits, right? So um, for an international student, right, there would have been no reason in a lot of cases for them to have studied, say, U.S. history, right? Because to assume that kids in other countries have to learn about American history is somewhat egotistical. <laughs> um, so they, they often haven't, right? So they So advantages will say, as long as you do the four years of English and the U.S. history and the stuff, we can we can award you an American diploma because you will have done like say the math and the sciences through your home country because that's pretty universal right biology chemistry physics right. um, the only thing that isn't is the English and the U S history and the government and the econ and stuff so U S history and U S government and econ then once you fulfill those requirements then you could apply to American universities and say hey I, I've already done the mm. normal American requisites, right, for this. So that's what I mean. We don't offer visas. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, right, right, right. Got it. There's no so, need for us to offer visas. Right. So when you said dual diploma, it's like, uh, say, a student in India who wants to do a certain course in the US, but, you know, doesn't have the required credits. But you, since math and science are universal subjects, so let's say that contributes some credit. ADLS would offer English, US history and econ credits is what you're saying. Like the content for them to prepare and then probably give a test and then, you know, earn a credit through you. Yeah, they'd have to do the classes through us, but yeah. We, once they do that, they can have a dual American slash whatever your home country is. Wow. Okay. We, we sort of pioneered that, I think, in South America because we have a big South American presence. Uh, we've moved into Central America with, you mm-hmm. know, Mexico is a big, is a big um, hotspot for us. We're big in uh, Colombia, uh, Brazil, Peru. Um, 
we launched the Middle East last year, which is big for us. And we've, we're in a lot of Europe, we're in India, huge presence in ASI China. So ASI China is one of our biggest um, satellite areas, basically. So I'd lo- I, I wouldn't be surprised if Europe's gonna follow eventually. Um, they tend to be American schools abroad. Um, but also it's especially with the influx of tech workers, right? So this is really good for China and India specifically, because I mean, one of our biggest imports is probably tech workers from, from China and India, right? So, um, why not give them all the advantages we can to come here? Got it. Got it done. Uh, going back to your uh, transition, you know, from you, so you joined Advantages as a customer success manager, your, you know, you onboard students. Mm-hmm. And then you said something happened. And then, you know, you kind of, uh, even though you were not into sales, but what you did qualified as, you know, it kind of identified, oh, you could sell. And then that's how you became business development manager. So what exactly happened for you to like transition? And, you know, uh-huh. how's the journey been so far? I well, again, I still don't like sales. Um, but I do like obviously I I offered up my idea about the conference, the conferences that we went to. Um, and they sort of thought, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. We'll go to and the first one we went to was quite good. It was huge, huge conference, six thousand people, um, hundreds of potential clients all in one place. And we did pull about two or three clients out of the first one, which is great because prior to that, we hadn't onboarded any clients in years, but we do have big um, accounts. So it's not like it's not driving our revenue. That's fine. But we hadn't added any new ones. And I was like, the kind of growth that you're looking for, you have to start going where the customers are, not where your competition right. is. So... And uh, since uh, then, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. So when you say clients, um, is this a mix of both uh, the school and the platform or is this just the platform clients of the platform that you're talking about the school mostly because domestically yeah domestically our largest like just for whatever reason this isn't how we intended it but domestically all of our clients are mental health teen facilities basically Mm. Um, which is definitely not how we intended it. Well, now we have MLS Youth Academies, which is kind of fun. So like Major League Soccer. So they've got teen centers where the kids live there and train there. And so we've just started onboarding them. So we weren't designed for mental health treatment. That just sort of seemed to be a niche market that we really did well in. So I mentioned to them, I was like, stop going to education conferences and start going to mental health ones because all of those facilities go there. And even better, because we've collected some of the biggest names in that market, you'll go and there will be basically testimonials on site to convince the other ones, because you'll got, you've got Newport Academy is one of the biggest, if not the biggest teen center <laughs> monolith that you've ever seen. It's huge. There's like 40, six facilities across the United States and they're charging $2,000 a day, you know? So like huge. So if you go to some of these conferences and we mention 
oh, well, Newport Academy is one of our clients. They'll go, really? I'm like, yep, we've been with them for 15 years. And then that just kept on working. <laughs> I don't know. And then the other thing was, you know, I'm chatty. I'm relatively social. And uh, I think that worked well in a conference environment. And as I've pointed out before, like I won't do anything that I'm not passionate about. And I guess they felt if I could speak with passion about a product that it would sell. And it it has <laughs> for the most part worked. Um, so then I came back in the conference and they said, how do you feel about being in business development instead? And I was like, brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Let's do it. And so now I manage all of our existing partnerships. We you know along with that Jen Tynan that I mentioned, she and I still work closely together. Right. Um, but we do a lot of account maintenance. So like my day will look like answering emails from um, our partnerships, you know, one's having a tech problem, one's, you know, one's got questions about transcripts, one's, so it's either fielding the questions to the appropriate parties or calling people answering it. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn trying to nurture new relationships or, you know, see where people are going, which conferences people are going to. I actually attend a lot of conferences. Um, we've been to two already this year, two more to go. Um, I'm headed to Denver in three weeks. So we'll go to Denver and then in November, we'll go back down to Florida. And I was just in Palm Springs earlier this summer. So it's been a bit of a wild ride. Um, and so I do a lot of the conferences. I also launched a tutoring center. So I did like, you know, one-on-one -on -one tutoring for kids who maybe the online platform, they need a little bit of help. So I launched that and I managed that. <laughs> and so or I hired someone to help me manage that. And yeah, it's it's good. It's busy. Definitely busy. Great. So yeah, you... obviously it's less structure than what I was doing before. Like I'm fairly autonomous. So I have to make sure to, that I'm doing things every day that are building something. I also help with a lot of the marketing. That's part of business development. I love creating marketing material too i love that stuff so they'll they'll message me and say can you create a flyer for xyz can you create this for xyz can you design some new business cards can you do whatever and i'll do that which is makes me happy so great yeah. i'm gonna ask you this okay i mean a lot of people um i believe that you know a lot of people who want to make money, but you know, when they realize that sales is one of the places where they can lot of where they can make a lot of money, but they don't like sales. I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you how do you make a lot of money with sales. Why this is interesting to me is that you know because I'm talking to someone who thinks, I mean, who says that they hit sales, but then you know they they're doing a pretty good job at it. So uh, I just want your perspective on you know for people who say they don't like sales just like you but could uh you know do something successfully in that you know so what's the mindset like for you now and you know what would you like to tell them how can they change that mindset to, to not think oh or maybe not think what they do is sales if that's the trigger word yeah i 
don't I yeah I've never liked the term sales because it always conjures up to mind like a slimy used car dealership or like you know <laughs> something like that and I don't think I would do sales anywhere else because I simply cannot sell something that I don't myself believe in so I don't think I could do say pharmaceutical sales or car sales or anything like that wouldn't that wouldn't drive me anywhere you know like I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy doing something like that so um I think the reason why I'm good at this is because I come from a unique perspective in which I've been both a consumer of this product I've got all the touch points right I've used it as a consumer I've used it as an administrator I've used it as a teacher and I have like I can speak to every access point of the system like I can tell you what what the views look like I can tell you what features it has you would be shocked how many times SaaS companies employ people who don't actually know their product like <laughs> yeah they, if you can't use it you shouldn't sell it but you know, I know a lot of SaaS companies. This is Northern Virginia is like this software as a service is everybody's bread and butter, right? But the salesmen don't actually understand any of the tech products they're selling because nobody told them they had to. Nobody said, sit down, faff about with it, get used to it, try, see what it's like. Like a lot of them just don't use it on a day-to-day basis, but I used it on a day-to-day basis as a consumer for years. So I've, I've seen it through multiple iterations. I've seen the whole overhaul of it. So I remember when it was looked one way and now it's really pretty and aesthetic and the user into the UI is different and the UX is way better. So I've seen it through multiple iterations. It's evolution. It's, you know, it's application. And I, cause I used it as a teacher for so long, I do think that my enthusiasm is fairly genuine and people can see that. <laughs> so particularly mental, mental health facilities, which is who I speak. And then obviously because I worked in mental health for so long, I know all the lingo and I know all the problems they run into and I can sympathize and empathize it's such a difficult and again niche market that having somebody who understands the particular woes of that that kind of job is really helpful i think and i am the again uniquely placed to do that because i am in my company the only one who's ever worked in mental health and that happens to be the market we're selling to so I had to come in and as a result, you know, everybody's learning the lingo, the mental health lingo. Like they didn't know what RTC was, PHP, IOP. (laughs) So, you know, all the, all the acronyms that come with working in the psychiatric world, um, all the insurance regulations and requirements, like things like that. Um, Just, I had particular understanding of that because again, I'd done it. So getting in there and telling mental health facilities, like it's not going to solve all your problems, but it's going to make one area a hell of a lot easier. You're speaking their language. They do not need to be told that 
something is going to make their job even a modicum more difficult. Like, they're already dealing, they're on the ground. It's a war zone in there sometimes, man. Like, especially with our more acute kiddos who are throwing things at you or trying to kill themselves every 10 seconds or like one thing to stream streamline one process means the world to them. So if, as long as you can explain that you're not there to make their job any harder, what you're looking to do is just streamline an otherwise stressful part of the job. Because if kids live with you in residential treatment or they attend PHP, which is partial hospitalization, you are required by law to provide some sort of education solution. And what most facilities do is they try to coordinate with the home school to develop some sort of program. But I don't know how familiar you are with education here in America. It leaves rather a lot to be desired. So they don't have the resources to worry about kids who are on their campus, let alone ones who are in mental health treatment facilities, sometimes states away. So that there's no, a school in Boston doesn't really feel particularly inclined to help out a student who's currently at a mental health facility in California. And so right. here we come and we go, tell you what, you disenroll them from their homeschool, you enroll all of them into the same platform, our platform, where you have one dashboard with all the kids and you can see everything they're working on and it's complete transparency and you can see what their grades are and, and all that good stuff. It's, it's almost stupid to say no because we've made it easy for you. So... As long as we can get in front of the right people, we don't often hear a lot of complaints or there's not really a lot of obstacle. We're also really affordable or way more affordable than any other private school because we charge flat rates. Other schools will charge per course, per whatever, you know, right. but we don't, we don't do that. It's just one flat monthly rate for unlimited courses coursework which is great it offers the flexibility that kids in treatment need because they're so often in and out of treatment we used to call those our frequent flyers they would come in <laughs> be in treatment relapse go to hospital come back from hospital go home <laughs> relapse come back you know we that's part you know that's part of the course too you get used to it and so having a education solution that is so flexible, again, this is well suited to that industry. Flexibility is the name of the game with respect to mental health. So my really long and winding answer to your question is I don't sell something. I talk about a product I genuinely love and it sells itself. Yeah. That's what I was going to summarize. But I was also going to say another thing is that, you know, if you want to sell, go and live the life of your customer for a day or two, maybe if not for a lot more time. Or for four years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> however, however, you need to to be able to come from a place of understanding. But and the mental health world just requires a lot of understanding. And the one thing you need to know about everybody who does it is if they didn't love, truly believe what they were doing, they wouldn't be there because it is often thankless 
even more thankless than teaching, <laughs> which is already thankless enough. But like, um, but if you're if you're in a mental health facility, it's because you genuinely believe that you can make somebody's the yeah. difference in somebody's life, right? And we did. We did. We saw success stories all the time. And I saw advantages being a part of that. So another selling point is that, you know, I've got testimonials, but I've got real life stories I can tell. I could tell stories about the girl who completed three years of school in one year and graduated when she didn't think she was going to finish high school period. And I was like, but you know, or I have a student right now who's 18 years old and was still doing ninth grade coursework because he wouldn't stop failing, you know, and I think maybe he was failing on purpose. And finally, <laughs> comes to us after getting expelled from yet another school and is going to graduate, finally. So, but right. like we, I don't need to make up stories because I have genuine ones, you know, like, so I don't need to, I don't need to sell the program, you know. I just need to tell my stories. That's it. Right. So I have, uh, probably uh, just one more topic that I'd like to touch upon. You said uh, you've got a couple of conferences lined up for you for this year, you know, which are quite some time away. So do you, uh, is there any sort of preparation that goes into before you get to the conferences? If there is, what does that look like? We have one coming up soon. It's in Denver. It's the Rocky Mountain Symposium on Addictive Disorders. So it's a collective of conferences. They do four a year. They've got West Coast, which we were at in Palm Springs, uh, Rocky Mountain, which is in Denver. Cape Cod is this week, actually. They'll do one in Cape, Cape Cod, but we're not going to that one. And then they'll do East Coast, which is in Florida. So they got four a year. Same, same organization runs all four conferences. So what I'll do prior to is I'll get a list of people who will be at the conference mm. and I'll just look to see which of them work with teens specifically. Um, Cause that's the, that's the bulk of our market. We can do adult learners, but the bulk of our market is going to be teenagers. Right. So um, I'll get a list of people who will be at the conferences, look to see which ones work with teens. I'll then hop on LinkedIn and see if I can find who works there, who their CEOs are, who their top level execs, who the decision makers are, write down some notes. Then I'll see if I can find them at the conference. Like I will go seeking them out and I'll just see who can, and it could be talking, just getting to know one another, trying maybe schedule a lunch or a dinner or a meeting. Uh, I just try to get put in their way as much as possible. Um, which is exhausting a bit, uh, but realistically, the honest truth is that I will just try and put myself in front of them. Because normally if I can get someone to talk to me, I'm okay, yeah. Like they'll they'll at least listen or hear me out, you know? No, people don't brush me off, off, like, you know, often. It's just, um, I think I'm, maybe I'm just really pushy, I don't know. But uh, I just, <laughs> I just like to to figure out who's who because if chances are they're gonna send their business development people rather than the decision makers. But if I can throw a name out that I already know, 
then it's more likely that you'll get an introduction. They'll go, you know, I work for, you know, Discovery Health. And I'll go, oh, is Peter Fowler your um, GM? And they'll go, oh, yeah, you know Peter? And I'll go, yeah. (laughs) What's his email again? (laughs) You know, (laughs) or, you know, whatever you could do. I just, that's how I prep the conferences. Um, But the rest of the time is just rest up and prepare to have my social battery run out for, for three days. Um, cause it is, it is a lot. It's very, it, it's very tiring. It's, it's, it's a lot to be like on all day for three or four days, you know, it's one thing to go on a podcast and be charming for 90 minutes, but try being charming for four days straight. And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately a lot of these conferences, like they're, on addictive disorders or sobriety or mental health and stuff so it's not like you've got like wine or anything to help you (laughs) because because for most of those conferences they're sober conferences and so (laughs) you just gotta do it which is tough but um but it's fine i i enjoy it we meet a lot of very cool people i go with my chief academic officer sandy she's one of the founders and she and i always do them together and the cool thing about working again in a small company is she she is my boss, but she is also a very, very good friend. So we have a really good time. It's really just like traveling with your buddy and talking about what you do all day long. Um and we, you know, we have a lot of fun together too. And I think that it wouldn't necessarily it would be a lot different, I think, if if I didn't genuinely enjoy everyone we work with. Because I really do. We do have like the nicest people. It's the nicest work culture I've ever had. And I've had some toxic ones, but this, this isn't like that. So that's awesome. about all the prep that I have to do. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of prep. There's not much I can do till after the conference. And then after the conference, there's a whirlwind of activity of follow-up. But Right, right, right. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, you know, you might probably think that you've done it all uh, at the conference but the moment they're out of your sight and you know sometimes they just ghost oh, yeah. you or they, for, they forget you or whatever it is for whatever reason right well so, so i found some ways around that so like it's 2023 and i think it's really stupid to do conferences the way they've always done it in the past right where you just sort of pick up this mountain of business cards can't remember who's who you got right. quite honest, how could you blame them? Because I forget who's who the second they walk away from me, right? So um, there's a number of resources now that have made it uh, a lot easier to do these conferences. So one, my husband actually got it for me. It was this card that I stuck on the back of my phone and it's called Popple, P-O-P-L. And I created a profile on it. And... um. So like, it's got my photo, it's got my business email, my name, my, but most importantly, I think the most important facet of that is the photo, right? And so, because face to name. Um, right. And so I, I put it on the back of my phone and if I scan it, if anybody can scan it, so they just hold their phone camera up to it and it pops up with my profile. Right. And so when they save the contacts, it saves my photo, my business email. So when I text them or call them later, my phone they know. Will, Yeah, they know who I am. Right, right, right. So 
the mis I don't like these. I I got I've got boxes and boxes of business cards here, like loads. My business cards, <laughs> and I hate using them because they're just they're you know people are gonna what put them in their wallet, throw them away. Like I have them if necessary, but like you know, I don't like using them because I think. I think as they're not that much of an asset. So you got to start moving into 2023 using some of these technologies and stuff. Plus it's a conversation starter. So the second, like I wave my phone and I'll go, oh, what's that? You know, and then I go, oh, it's popular. Have you seen, have you heard of it? Have you like whatever, you know, like you, you use whatever you can to stick out in their mind. So, I mean, it does help that I'm, you know, I'm, a little bit different from most of them anyway uh but it what used to help me in the mental health world i'm actually fairly standard for like the sobriety and workers of the mental health world so like if i wanted to when i used to work in d i worked in the senate i worked in you know me, wealth management like these high powered places like and I've always been a little bit alternative i was i you know tattoos and all the rest of it and i dress for i'm very casual and things like that Mental health world, that is perfect. Tattooed, casual, everybody's, everybody's does not care about that stuff. Like, I don't, you know, I don't stand on ceremony. I'm not big on all the trappings of trying to look professional, you know, because I know what I am and that's, I don't need to dress or act or look a certain way to, to prove that to anyone. But that's perfect for the mental health world. So in that way, like, I do kind of, like, fit in with them, with that group. And that's helped me a lot, too. So, because I already, right. I already look like I work in the mental health world. So, even though I don't <laughs> technically anymore. Uh, just one final question, right? I mean, it's, uh, you've been talking about, okay, you know, somehow get in front of these people that you think um other people that would be decision makers or you know that will take you a step closer um and you know you spoke about flashing your phone you know where you have that thing stuck and then you know conversation starters but when it comes you know you've got a few seconds of that whatever it is but then eventually you'll have to get down to what you're there for you know and then you know talk about what you do so what do you i mean i do you just okay you know what i'm uh, i'm i represent advantages this is what I'm here to do is that how you just go straight transparent or you know you have different lines for different people or you you know talk about them and then just want to touch upon this one thing I always ask what they do um who their clients are you know so I'll go you know who do, you know who do you work for and they'll say oh right. I come from evolve behavioral health and I'll be like oh you know what's the average age of your clientele and if they say 13 to 17 they think oh ours too actually you know we also work with teens um have you heard of newport healthcare and they have always heard of newport healthcare it's the biggest one um and mm. one thing i had to get some of our management on board with like or particularly like sandy who's always been quite close to the chest with like telling people who our clients are well that's not that's not privileged information. And why wouldn't I name drop if one of them, one of our clients is the biggest teen facility in the United States. So I was like, you know, you, you can't be afraid to name drop because 
everybody wants to mimic what they're doing. We already work with them. This is perfect. So, you know, I'll go, you know, what's the average age of your clientele? And they go 13, 17. I'm like, us too. We work with teens. Um, have we heard of Newport Healthcare? They've been a client of ours for 15 years. Cool. What do you do for them? And then it just like, you know, it goes from there. Like, I, I very rarely have to invent a reason to talk about it. Um, schooling for teen residential facilities is a necessity one way. So if they tell me they work for a town, who do you use for your schooling solutions? Or do you just work with the homeschools? Isn't that annoying? Like, and they always think it is, it's annoying because it is annoying. So they, it's not, like I said, if you can get in front of people, it's not a difficult sell. It's just getting in front of the right people. Maybe. Really? But yeah, I can launch into, I can, I can find a segue in just about anything. <laughs> so there, there's an opening somewhere. I will leap on it as it works out. But Awesome. It was an absolute delight talking to you, you know, listening to, you know, uh, whatever you had to share about all of the different things that you spoke about. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being candid about all those things and sharing so much. Um, great. Uh, you know what? The funny thing is, this is the feeling that I have. As much as you've said that, you know, you're not a salesperson, you hate sales. I'll tell you what, there are some amazing takeaways from this conversation that people are trying to sell. <laughs> Trust me on that. Yes. <laughs> I'll take your word for it then. But Great. I, I, business development is always wrong a little bit nicer than sales, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's um, just throw the word just, away maybe. And then I, I just think that the takeaway is if you genuinely love it, it's it's not really selling anything, right? I said just talk about the thing you love and let it sell sell itself. That's it. Yeah. If you don't love it, don't sell it. Simple, right? That's the key so thing, of go... course. But uh, there there are a lot of nuances as well, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. but I just don't know if it's particularly earth shattering information, but it's just. That's always been my policy. See, don't, that's the don't... thing about that's the thing about information that's second nature to people who do it, and <laughs> that's exactly earth-shattering to people you know who haven't figured out a way. So you know, simple things yeah. can kind of you know light bulbs in people's heads. So yeah, yeah, I think maybe that would yeah. be my next uh, my next venture: self-help for salespeople. <laughs> I, yeah you totally should and you know what the the best thing is uh you have uh you know a different narrative about it um and you know because you start off by saying that you hate sales maybe it makes a difference to the listener and then you know there's something different about that narrative and yeah maybe you know to get past the immediate yeah Yes, yes. When you yeah. hear salespeople, because I'm yeah. like that. What's the yeah. first thing you do when you go into a store and somebody comes up straight to like, can I help you? You're like, just browsing, <laughs> like go away. You know, the first thing you do is try and get rid of the salesperson. But if you, yeah, if you don't identify that way and yeah. you make sure they don't identify you that way, you can get over the first hurdle. Now, whether or not you get over the rest of the hurdles is a completely different story but you can get past the first one which is everybody's innate dislike of salespeople. yeah so 
But yeah, so I guess that's true. Great. So if you do not like sales, and there must have been some people who would have made you hate sales, just don't do that while you sell. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> just don't, don't sell it like they did. <laughs> but just, yeah. It's it's very simple. <laughs> like I just, I just don't know that I have anything new or earth shattering to offer there. I, I just have always, you know, followed Charles Bukowski's advice. You know, he's a poet. And he yeah, I've heard poet. of him. Yeah. Find what you love and let it kill you. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Tara. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.